The following episode of Annals on Call is brought to you by Annals of Internal Medicine. For more episodes, links to CME and MOC, and disclosures for all speakers, visit go.annals.org slash oncall. Participant statements on this podcast reflect the views of the participants and not necessarily those of the Journal or the American College of Physicians unless so identified. All relevant financial relationships have been mitigated. Prior to the EGFR era, there was a lot of variability and uncertainty in how people would interpret a certain serum creatinine. Welcome to Annals on Call, a podcast based upon articles from the Annals of Internal Medicine in which we discuss the implications of the article for you, the listener. This is Dr. Bob Centaur. I'm Professor Emeritus at the University of Alabama at Birmingham and former chair of the Board of Regents for the American College of Physicians. This episode of Annals on Call features an article titled Quantifying Individual Level Inaccuracy in Glomerular Filtration Rate Estimation Across Sectional Study. Our guest is Dr. Tarek Shafi. Dr. Shafi is uh, the John D. Bauer Director of the Division of Nephrology and Professor of Medicine with the Joint Appointment Population Health and Physiology and Biophysics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. His research focuses on kidney disease epidemiology and clinical effectiveness studies. We hope you learn some important concepts from this podcast. Tarek? It's so nice to have you on the podcast. I really enjoyed your uh, MGFR article, and it reminded me of a patient that I that we recently had on our service. It was an unfortunate gentleman who, in his 60s, who'd had uh, multiple strokes, came in really for some wound care because his family couldn't take care of him. About the second or third day on service, the intern tells me, oh, the patient had a potassium of 5.7, and I gave him some loquelma. I said, why did he have a potassium of 5.7? He was not on an ACE inhibitor. He wasn't on an ARB. He wasn't on spironolactone. His estimated GFR, according to the computer, with a creatinine of 1.5, was approximately 52. Looking back over the last two years, his creatinine had not wavered much more than 1.4 to 1.6, but he repeatedly had hyperkalemia. He had longstanding diabetes also as one of the causes of his stroke. I said, I don't believe that estimated GFR. In that case, we actually uh, got a cystatin C, and according to the cystatin C, his GFR was 20, and what he really had was a, a type 4 RTA. I did not have at my disposal a good measured GFR. That's what your article is about. So why don't you define measured GFR and why that might be helpful in a situation like I confronted? Thank you, Dr. Centaur, for inviting us or inviting me to this podcast and uh, really appreciate your interest in the topic as well. So, uh, so I think, you know, uh, the situation you describe is actually not an uncommon situation. It is something that we see commonly in, uh, in practice and, you know, and we start to grapple with what is somebody's kidney function. So let's just uh, start to think about uh, measured GFR. And I think we can all sort of relate to our early education in med school when we think of measured GFR. Uh, so just sort of to recap, GFR is uh, 
really the amount of water that is being filtered by all the glomeruli in a person. So, you know, for each of us has two kidneys and each kidney has about, two mil- uh, has about a million glomeruli. So there's two million glomeruli and all of them are filtering water. Now, the water that is being filtered is reabsorbed, most of it. So in order to measure this filtration, we want to use something that is freely filtered, not reabsorbed, not secreted. So we've all heard of inulin as the gold standard marker that is uh, being used. And really measured GFR is uh, a GFR of all these 2 million glomeruli that are measured over a certain period of measurement under certain conditions. And I say that because it's really important uh, for us to all realize that GFR is highly variable, even in normal individuals. And it varies from heartbeat to heartbeat, posture, hydration status, autonomic function. So the directly measured GFR is an average, as a time average GFR over a certain time period in an individual. And I think I would also like to say that most of our knowledge of GFR in health and disease is actually based on directly measured GFR in humans and animals. And this is what we sort of extrapolate to different conditions and serum markers when we are thinking about it. We've talked on this podcast before, but I think it's always good to remind people about the idea of an estimated GFR and get you talk about why that's both good and bad. So, you know, we typically estimate GFR from serum creatinine. And, you know, if we think about it, we measure serum creatinine because we want to understand what is somebody's level of kidney function. And generally speaking, when the creatinine level is uh, uh, low, the kidney function is okay. When the creatinine level is uh, high, it is low. But prior to the, the EGFR era, there was a lot of uh, variability and uncertainty in how people would uh, you know, interpret a certain uh, serum creatinine value. And the estimation of GFR from creatinine has sort of helped us move away from that variability. So it has sort of allowed us to sort of convert the creatinine number, which is on a milligram per deciliter scale to a GFR scale, which goes from zero to 100, which we can understand more, relate to physiology. And uh, it's uh, easier to describe to our patients as well. That number is not always correct. So talk about the study that uh, you and your colleagues have in the Annals of Internal Medicine about the variability of the measured GFR compared to the estimated GFR? Our study sort of started with a simple question. Um, You know, we all see eGFR reported right next to an extremely accurate and precise serum creatinine measurement. And uh, it sort of conveys this impression that uh, uh, the GFR number, the estimated GFR number that's being recorded is, is highly accurate. So, so the question that we posed was that if our patient has an estimated GFR of, let's say, 60, what is their plausible range of measured GFR? And that is a question that we often ask, but it's very hard to get to with the data that is actually you know, provided uh, with estimation equations in different uh, papers. And certainly, it is not reported with the eGFR report. So how did you go about trying to answer this question? We basically 
collected data or collated data from four uh, research cohorts, observational research cohorts that had directly measured GFR. So these were people that had GFR measured using uh, one of the gold standard tests and they had simultaneous measurement of uh, serum creatinine and cystatin C as well. And then what we did was we uh, related the direct measured GFR level to the estimated level. And, uh, and we really had sort of three uh, questions uh, in mind. So one question was, what is the possible range of directly measured GFR uh, for my patient with a given estimated GFR? The second question was, how likely is my patient's eGFR result to be inaccurate? So that's like, what is the probability of large errors? And then the last one was, uh, and this sort, sort of relates to definition of, C, of CKD based on rigid GFR criteria, that what is the agreement between CKD stages when we define CKD uh, based on estimated GFR versus the gold standard measured GFR? To expand on that, as I understand, there's been a big debate in the kidney community uh, about whether uh, stage 3A is really a kidney disease. And it should, and stage 3A to remind listeners is a, an estimated GFR of 45 to 59. And I've talked to nephrologists who say, well, I don't even worry about it till it gets to 3B. And this will sort of answer the question if someone has that estimated GFR, what's the likelihood they actually really have kidney disease uh, and, and actually have a lower estimation. There's also the uh, concerns about race and estimation. And there's also the new concern of should we use creatinine versus cystatin C. So can you explain the results to our listeners? So you're exactly right. So uh, there is this uh, debate which has been going on for some time with the with the 45 to 59 group, and especially people who do not have any albuminuria. So this would be G3AA1, and uh, that constitutes about seven and a half million adults in the United States that are classified as having a disease based on an estimated number. And I think CKD may be the, this G3A1 may be the only disease that's based on an estimated number there may be others, but I think this is probably the only disease. So one of the things that we found in this uh, in our study was that when we look at group level statistics, uh, so for example, the average differences between individuals uh, in terms of measured and estimated GFR, they're usually really minuscule, somewhere in the order of 5 ml per minute, which is really clinically irrelevant because you're really not making any decisions based on 5 ml. But what we found was that at an individual level, the range of uh, measured GFRs at an estimated GFR could be quite wide. For example, if you take somebody with an estimated GFR of 60 ml per minute, in our study, the range of gold standard directly measured GFR was between 36 to 87. So the person with 87 clearly has healthy functioning kidneys and the person with measured GFR of 36 as, as, as advanced kidney disease needs uh, uh, much more uh, closer management. So that was one finding. I think the other finding related to the race was that, you know, most of the research with estimated GFR is again focused on the average group differences between 
self-described blacks and non-blacks. And again, that average level is really low. It's in the order of five ml per minute. But if you actually look at the distribution of the measured GFRs within each of these groups, you know, the distribution completely overlaps and this inaccuracy is actually about tenfold higher of the magnitude of about 50 ml per minute. So this really sort of also tells us that, you know, uh, homo sapiens basically have, uh, you know, are biologically similar and that race is a, a social construct. So I think it, it supports that as well. I think in regards to cystadency, it's, it's interesting because uh, uh, many guidelines and uh, nephrology organizations have said that uh, cystadency is, uh, is a confirmatory test for uh, GFR. And what our study actually shows is that it is uh, actually as unreliable as creatinine. It is maybe a little bit less inaccurate, so the precision may be better, and it certainly may be useful in situations like the patient you just described, where the serum creatinine level may not be reliable, but overall its inaccuracy was actually quite high as well. There's a theme uh, in several of the podcasts we've done previously, and in the way I, I, I stress this uh, when, I, when I teach on the wards, that we shouldn't consider the estimated GFR a true number. It's an estimated number. And understanding when that estimate might be wrong is something that we have a responsibility as internists or family physicians to understand so that we don't miss dose drugs so that we uh, get the patient to see a nephrologist at the right time. We don't label people with a disease they don't have. As I read your, your article, I think you're making the case that we should have available to us measured GFR. Could you make that case for us and then tell us how you would go about with all the patients you're seeing in the hospital and in the outpatient setting, decide which patients you might want to order that for. Yeah, so I think you're exactly right. So one of the things that I'm teaching, I say, is that just because EGFR is reported to you in ML per minute doesn't mean that your patient's GFR is exactly the same. And just because it's reported uh, indexed to 1.73 meters square of, of body surface area doesn't mean that your patient patient's body surface area is 1.73. Okay. So, so, so bo both of those things are, uh, are correct. And I think one of the things with uh, measured GFR that has actually evolved in the last 20 years or so is that the direct measurement of GFR has actually become much simpler. Uh, you know, and the old adage, adage used to be that uh, measured GFR is highly cumbersome. And I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's no longer true. It's uh, uh, it is certainly uh, uh, it's it's not impractical. It can be done. Certainly has been done in uh, thousands of patients in uh, research studies. And what has really changed is that the older methods for measurement of GFR uh, really required an uh, infusion of inulin, which is hard to get. You had to get it in a steady state. There were allergic reactions. Uh, you had to uh, use a catheter to ensure that the uh, urinary output was complete, or people would use radioactive iothalamate. So it required a special handling 
you had to uh, use uh, potassium iodide to neutralize its effects on thyroid and all those uh, other things were there. And the newer substances that we actually use are contrast media, uh, iohexol and uh, iothalamate. And uh, these agents can now be injected in a very small dose, subcutaneously or intravenously. And we can actually measure either plasma clearance or uh, urinary clearance. And, and with the urinary clearance, one of the major sort of advances in probably the last five to 10 years has been point of care ultrasound. It's available everywhere. You know exactly what the bladder volume is. And if the bladder is not empty, you ask somebody to void again, and then you know whether they voided or not. So, so all of that sort of uncertainty has gone away. Uh, so the test is highly feasible. And it's actually really a test and a procedure as opposed to estimated GFR, which is an estimate. It is not really a test that we do. And, and I think really the challenge is really making it available for our patients. And I think in order to do that, there's been sort of two challenges. One of that has been this false sense of security that we know what the GFR is. Well, every lab report is reporting it. Why do we need to measure GFR? It's on our on, on every lab report. So, so I think we need to pay closer attention to and discuss whether the reporting of eGFR with every creatinine result is appropriate or not, you know, because uh, uh, I think it may not be appropriate, for example, in hospitalized patients because the equations were not derived in patients that were acutely ill or hospitalized and in many other situations. And then I think at the same time, we need to make the test available for patients and, uh, and set it up in different uh, uh, places. Finally, let's go to the idea of I'm taking care of a patient in the inpatient or outpatient setting. What would be the clues that I really might need to get a measured GFR, that I really can't believe the estimated GFR? Yeah, so uh, so one of the things I always say is that, you know, any person in whom you've actually thought of ordering a 24-hour urine really needs a measured GFR. So 24-hour urine for urinary creatine clearance is a test of uh, measured GFR. It's highly inaccurate. It's recommended by, you know, systematic review to be, you know, not used at all. Mm -hmm. But I mean, that's the only test we have. So I think that's one thing to think of is if you think of doing a 24-hour urinary creatinine clearance, you should think of a measured GFR. So that's one. And then I think, you know, when we are managing our patients, we're obviously looking at many different parameters to see the things that we are uh, seeing, whether they're easily explained or not. For example, hyperkalemia is an important clue that if somebody is, you know, getting hyperkalemia with maybe minimal doses of RAS inhibitors or mineral corticoids, do they really have much advanced kidney failure then the EGFR tells us. You know, people are surprised, but that the estimating equations are not valid in people with heart failure because people with heart failure were actually not included in the cohorts from which the CKDIP and other equations have been derived. So, you know, so people with heart failure with recurrent volume overload, recurrent hospitalization is somebody I would actually think of, of measuring their uh, uh, GFR as well. I think the two other big groups, uh, which uh, we really sort of, uh, as, as nephrologists, we need to sort of also pay attention to is one people, uh, one is a group of people that are 
uh, donating a kidney, so living kidney donation and nephrectomy. And the second big group is actually cancer chemotherapy. So we are using, you know, there are drugs that have EGFR or drugs that have GFR cutoffs. And if you're going to deny that therapy to people, it really behooves us to actually measure their GFR and make sure that they are really not eligible for that medication. And I think the second piece is also um, the GFR adjusted medications. Uh, and in those situations, uh, many times you're actually doing your uh, creatinine clearances and these are people that should also get a measured GFR as well. Well, I can't thank you enough for uh, joining us on the podcast and helping to explain uh, the problem of finding out what the actual GFR is. My hospital doesn't have measured GFR right now, and I certainly hope that we get that in the future. And you've made the great case for why this would be valuable, both in the inpatient and outpatient setting. So thank you so much for joining us. And thank you, Dr. Santo. Now it's time for Bob's Pearls. The main concept in uh, this article is that any estimated GFR has a plausible range of true GFRs when you do an actual measurement of that GFR. At a group level, estimated GFR is an excellent estimation. However, at an individual level, you can have wide variation is described in this podcast. This tells us that as uh, clinicians, we have a responsibility to think beyond estimated GFR when we're thinking about does the patient have kidney disease. We may need to look at other clues other than just that estimation number. Uh, There are times when measurement of GFR is highly desirable, uh, as is discussed in this podcast. One alternate to the estimated GFR from uh, the creatinine is the measurement from cystatin C, but this is also shown to have significant variability. At times, we may be able to deduce from the patient's presentation a better measure of an estimation. However, we probably need to have in our toolbox the ability to get an actual measured GFR. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. For more episodes, links to CME and MOC, and disclosures for all speakers, visit go.annals.org slash on-call. Participant statements on this podcast reflect the views of the participants and not necessarily those of the Journal or the American College of Physicians unless so identified. All relevant financial relationships have been mitigated. Mm-hmm.